Today's quote comes from a much-beloved yet little understood New Year's song. We too have run about the slopes and picked the daisies fine, but we've wandered many a weary foot since Auld Lang Syne. Hey all, I'm Paul Severs, interpreter with Great Parks of Hamilton County, and you are listening to Take It Outdoors, a podcast where you can enjoy the outdoors from the indoors. On today's episode, we will be recapping the year 2018 in nature, talk about some new species discovered and the like, and we'll talk about what to look forward to in 2019. So joining me today in the studio is the formidable Tom Hughes. So Hello, Tom, everyone. Welcome back. All right, Paul. So before we start talking about all this stuff, I may be British, but that quote, I have no idea what that means. So can you enlighten me a little bit on what on earth you just said? Yeah, I had to look it up myself, but it basically roughly translates to something like for days gone by or for the sake of old times. So figured, hey, we are recapping 2018 for the sake of old times. We'll we'll discuss the past here. The sake of a whole yeah, <laughs> the old times. Let me tell you, Johnny, about the old times. It was two thousand spring 2018. Hey, you know what? In today's world, <laughs> spring 2018 might as well have been 10 years ago. So <laughs> I need to know, especially for those listeners that listened to our last episode, if you didn't, check it out. But did you weigh your fingernails? I didn't. I completely forgot. Well, I got so distracted about the spider thing. All right. Well, we'll, we'll talk more about that later. Right. But... I did weigh my fingernails. I attempted to, at least. Did you All right? really? I, and the scale would not even register then. It wouldn't register? So uh. we were talking about the golden crowned kinglet and that it weighed five grams. And Tom interjected that, weigh your fingernails. And so it turns out it's not at all a good analogy. No, um, yeah, you know what, though? I mean, now we know that fingernails less weigh than a golden crowned kinglet, so... There you go. Scott, new scholarly yeah, paper. Yeah. And I did in researching that. Yes, I actually researched how much do our nails weigh. I never really found a good answer, but I came across a Reddit thread where somebody was trying, to, was trying to figure out how many or how, how much weight then like if everybody in the world clipped their fingernails, how much fingernails is like thrown away. So I thought I was the weird one. No, turns that, out, that Reddit out. user, whoever you are, you took the cake on that one. So. <laughs> All right, so let's. Well, let's, no, you can't leave it at that. What was the answer? Do you I don't know? know. I still don't know. The the oh. scale would not register my fingernails. Yeah, and but so the I was guy like, well, let me try. The... I don't. It never. There's like so many different off the wall answers. Oh, like they were was... so far from each other that nobody yeah, really actually. figured out a good formula. <laughs> so like I said, the scale wouldn't register, and I was like, you know, weighing small rocks, and like some would register at three or four grams. So clearly, oh, okay. fingernails just don't come close. Although well, walnut came in at ten. What's that? A walnut. A walnut like, came in at 10 grams? Just a dried walnut came in at 10. That's twice the weight of a golden crown kinglet. Okay. So that's just still, that's, well, there we go. that's a tiny little bird. But moving on, 2018. A lot of stuff happened. A lot of stuff did lot happen. Of discoveries. What'd you find? Well, unfortunately, um, the first thing that popped in my head when we were talking about thinking about this podcast, because we were thinking about scientific discoveries in 2018, the very first thing that popped in my head popped in my head because of a very specific specific reason. And the reason why is it kind of broke my heart, Paul. I'm kind of I'm pretty upset about this discovery. You see, when I did my senior capstone in college, my senior capstone was about this horse that's mostly ignored say if you go to the zoo right uh you go down and see the camels and i think the peccaries well there's this horse and this horse 
previously thought to be the only true wild horse that existed on Earth. And it almost became extinct if it wasn't for an animal collector in the early 1900s that actually basically saved the species from extinction. I think there was something like, originally he had like 100 of them, and then currently now all of these horses are from a stock of about only 16 horses. So it was this huge conservation success story. Uh, Really neat. Well, scientists uh, were doing genomic testing of this of the bowtie culture in Kazakhstan. And these guys were known as some of the first people who domesticated horses. And they were trying to figure out what the difference between these domesticated horses and our current, like, Arabian and English horses were. And they were thinking that our horses were descendants of those horses from the bowtie culture. What they realized is that the chromosomes were extremely different from currently domesticated horses to these bowtie horses, but what they were similar to, which is so sad, as I said, I spent like three months on this stinking capstone, uh, is that possibly there's a good chance that Savolsky's horses are not truly wild horses, but they're descendants of the domesticated bowtie horses. Bottom line, then, if this is true, there are no truly wild horses left in the world. That's correct. Like, truly, yeah, the, the, the equus... Uh, species. I don't think zebras quite count as, as horses because I think their chromosomes are just slut, like even even further off than 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 um, than current horses. But uh, yeah, like truly wild horses. Not, for example, the western horses, the wild horses out west. They're just basically uh, released domesticated horses. They're not true, truly they um, adapted in the wild and they've lived in the wild and have had nothing to do with humans. And that's what people initially thought about because these Swarovski's horses are just so so much different than our domesticated horses that there was just no way that our domesticated horses could have been from them and there's you know there's mythological stories about the legendary tarpan that lived in the european forests until the early 1900s and they think that may have been related to the svolsky's horses there's all this mythology and story behind it and it's really interesting and it turns out that it's possibly it's it's yeah. There's no more wild horses in the, in the wild, which is a, a a bit of a bummer. But there is a little bit of hope in that. Currently, this is one scholarly paper, and it's the it's their hypothesis. It's they they've done the genome, but you never know, right? There's always a chance that there could be a new <laughs> a new paper arose that that completely absolves the Zawalski's horses and and they're wild once again. Um, whether or and. You you know, it's they're still really neat horses. I mean, they've got that really uh, upright mane of theirs, and and they can just withstand the coldest Mongolian winters. They're still really neat horses. Uh, but yeah, this this paper kind of kind of dampens their coolness just a little bit, which is kind of a shame. So that that's one thing I learned. All right, Paul, lay it on me. What? Hopefully, you got something we'll a little keep, happier. Yeah, I got. To, I well. Yeah, kind of. No, um, it's no, depressing like, too. <laughs> no, we'll We're in depressing cool mode today. <laughs> we'll stick in the, in the realm of animals. And there was a species of parasitoid wasp that I don't want to say it was discovered because they found this in the collections of the London's Natural History Museum. But it, this is the first time it's actually been described to, to science. Um, so it's this three millimeter long wasp. It's so a little tiny wasp. Teeny tiny. You could fit a couple of them on your pinky nail. Um, it's Dendroceras I didn't think about that. <laughs> uh, so it only has a, a species name, not a common name, uh, or a scientific name. Which most say. of these do. Like right, a lot of them right. don't have common And names. they're originally from Costa Rica, but they 
found these in their specimen cabinets. They describe them, and they have on them this saw-like structure that's called a mesoscutellar comb. Oh, yeah, of course. I know exactly what that is. (laughs) So it it looks like a comb, like these two appendages that kind of just stick out from under its head, basically. And what's cool about these, so they're parasitoid wasps. So that means the adults lay their eggs in another insect. Those eggs hatch. The larvae eat the insides of the, the insect host. They pupate. And then as the adult form, they use these saw-like structures. That's gross. I already know what you're going to say, and that's just gross. cut their way out of the host That's body. super gross. That's really cool, but it's gross. So the only, catch, <laughs> the only catch to it is that this has not actually been observed in nature yet. All they, all they have is described these specimen in their cabinets, essentially. Yeah. But it's believed that they use these saw-like structures to cut their way out of the host body. Nice. That's pretty cool. It is pretty, cool. pretty cool. As I just, said, it's gross. I'm just glad I'm not a host. Yeah, I know. I know we're a host to a lot of other things, but as long, I guess as long as they don't have sores on their appendages, then I guess we're kind right. of lucky. Right, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, in our Halloween episode, we talked a lot about fun Parasites things we are hosts to. Yeah. So another cool species that was, again, kind of discovered, and this is one that you know the locals had known about, but it's the first time it's been described to science um, this one is found in Brazil, and it is the, again, no common name, just a scientific name, and I'm, I feel like I'm going to butcher this one. A lot of scientific names I can do okay with, but this one is a little tricky. But Denizia Juarana Fasau? Oh. Not, yeah. It's yeah, a tricky never one. heard of it. But what's crazy to me is that this is a 130-foot-tall tree. Oh, it weighs okay. something like estimated at 62 tons. Massive tree, and we're just now. It must describing have been a super it. elusive tree. Like it must have had a really good set of roots on it to be hiding from humans. For this well, long. that's and that's the thing is right now there's only about 25 known individuals. So it's a legume family, which means it's like you think of peas, you know, pea pods. That's a legume, and these legumes, the pea pods, are like a foot or over a foot long. They're this massive, massive tree, and they finally kind of figured it out because this guy who had worked in this area in Brazil, saw this tree flower. He had been there for 27 years, and he had never seen this tree flower. So there's a lot of questions around that. Is that... Probably why there's only a few. Well, that's right. That's one reason. There's probably only a few of them. But what would be the the forces that... uh, Only to flower. Only 27... Once every 27 years, potentially? I don't know. It seems kind of crazy. But still, that there's this 130-foot-tall tree that we're just now starting to... Describe and discover and, and, and research into. Yeah. So who knows what? I mean, 130 foot tree in the rainforest. Imagine what kind of life could be on that tree that we also haven't discovered, or its right. medicinal qualities possibly. That's the maybe big thing. we've found the cure to Lou Gehrig's disease, and it's in this tree, and it almost completely went extinct, and right. had no idea. Uh, it reminds me of the. Uh, it reminds me of the dodo on the Mauritius Islands, right? Because isn't there a tree that... I don't know. I've heard it's more of a myth now. Like, I think it's... Because descri- the story was that there were these trees in the Mauritius Islands, and they wouldn't grow unless they went through the digestive system of a dodo bird. And when the dodo bird would eat it, it would go through their body, poop it out, and then the tree would grow. Um, once the dodos became extinct, there was nothing, nothing for these trees to germinate. So the uh, um, a scientist decided to bring over turkeys to eat the 
um, the seeds and then to germinate them. And, that, and, and the trees were saved. Now, a few science, I think of, there's a few detractors to that idea, and maybe the tree isn't, wasn't as in, in much as trouble as, as they originally thought. But it's still kind of interesting how, you know, affecting one thing can affect an entire ecosystem, and, and we don't, we, and before we've even realized it. Right, right. We, we don't, unfortunately, we lose too many connections before we even understand the connection that's which, there. Which actually brings to one of my f- discoveries that I had that was just recently, just, just at the very end of 2018. Uh, it was just discovered, you know, recently. I, I just learned about it today, which again, because I can't focus on anything other than our eight-legged arachnid friends, <laughs> um, talking about uh, not understanding processes, uh, we know that the Arctic ice is decreasing and that the permafrost uh, underneath the, uh, uh, the Arctic or around the Arctic is uh, releasing um, CO2 that's been trapped in there and the permafrost is, is degrading. Well, there's actually a fungus um, in that permafrost that, uh, is get, that is eating the permafrost and decomposing it quicker. Well, there's a little animal uh, called a springtail which will, which will actually eat the fungus. So, so it's a good thing. We want more of those springtails. What scientists were worried about is that there's a there's an, there's a there's an intense hunter up in the Arctic uh, forest and an Arctic uh, range. It's 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 an eight-legged uh, Arctic um, wolf spider. And these wolf I spiders. You're gonna say like the Yeti or something. Like oh, that. that would be cool. How funny would that be if like a Yeti? It would be like when whales eat krill, like go. some massive organism eating tiny little microscopic <laughs> organisms. But no, this, the, the, these are wolf spiders, and what they do is they eat these springtails. So scientists will worry because when uh, the atmosphere gets warmer, that means that the spiders are going to get bigger and they're going to become more numerous. So they were worried that they'd eat the springtails, which will further the uh, decomposition of the permafrost, which will increase um, climate change. And so they, so they did a study, they did an experiment where they stuck these great big Arctic wolf spiders in, in a plot of land. Uh, and then, and they got rid of another, they got another plot of land. They got rid of as many of the big spiders as they could. And they looked at the springtail populations. One they found confused them because there was actually more springtails in the area with the big spiders. And the reason why is because once you, if you're a spider, um, one, you're going to eat each other. So, so once, once you get a little bit bigger and you see another wolf spider over there, you go, Ooh, I can, I can, I can munch on you. So you're going to eat that smaller spider. You're going to get even bigger. And then once you see these tiny little springtails, you go, eh, I don't want to eat that. It's, it's too tiny. It's, it's not worth the, it's not worth the nutritious, uh, value. So the fact that these wolf spiders are actually getting bigger and so I'm pretty, I don't know, maybe in another few hundred years, they'll start looking like the predator. I don't know, like eight feet tall. Um, but uh, that, it turns out that it's actually helping the Arctic ecosystem. And these big spiders are actually reducing the decomposition of this permafrost, which is really neat. So 2018 is definitely a year for, to be honest, is, there's just been so many things just discovered this year. It's just been astounding, Paul. It's just, it's just so many uh, interesting scientific discoveries this year. It's like, I mean, like the milking spider. Are you kidding me? How cool is that? A lactating, lactating spider uh, discovered in Southeast Asia, uh, which actually produces prote- protein and fat that is pretty similar to cow's milk. It's actually got four times the amount of protein of cow's milk. And it looks like an ant. Uh, what, what, what is it called? Is it just like the way your bee doesn't have a common name? This one is called uh, Toxius Magnus. And uh, Mangus, uh, no, Magnus, there it is. And it's got a, um, and it's, it's a jumping spider. And it looks just like an ant. Uh, and it hunts uh, ants. But it also lactates. How weird is that? 
<laughs> yeah. <I'm, laughs> it produces mm-hmm. milk for its babies. I'm not sure what to think about that. It's amazing. Like, because when I do programs, when I was in college, I always learned about, you know, I, I took a bio, biology 101. And basically the professor said at the beginning of the year, Everything I teach you about these creatures this year, there's going to be an exception. Like, every single one, there's going to be something that pr- disproves the rule. Like, uh, and, and this is one of them, because arthropods are not supposed to be able to produce milk. <laughs> so I just, I wonder what entrepreneur is going to be the one to milk these spiders. I know, right? For ridiculous it, amounts of money. So, sold at Whole Foods uh, yeah. for like $300 <laughs> per ounce. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, uh, lactose. If you're lactose intoler- intolerant, that's all right. You can have spider milk. So um, would you try it though? Yeah, Say it was for sale. Would you try it? You kidding me? <laughs> I'd, I'd give it a shot. Give yeah, it a shot. absolutely. I, I, I mean, again, you'd have to get a lot of them. I mean, um, I, I, and what's also interesting is that I mean, it's a, a spider. Um, so they have like, you know, they won't, they have like 40, 50, you know, these ones, have, but other spiders will have way more babies than these guys, but I think they have less so that they can supply each one with enough, enough milk. And what they did is these mean scientists, they actually got half of the baby spiders and took them away from mommy and, uh, watched how they grew. And I think the survival rate for babies that drank their mother's milk was something like 80%, while the babies that didn't, it was like less than 50%. So it's actually... I mean, even 80%, that's pretty... I assume that's pretty high relative yeah, for, to for others. Spiders. I mean, that's that's one reason they have so many, right? Because the attrition rate's so high. The more you have, the yep, more the, you'll So you can with. have 90% die, you still got... It's like with frogs, 5,000 babies, 4,000 die... You still got a thousand of them still alive. So, so it is. It's what a what wow, it's gorgeous. If you look it up, the Toxius uh, Magnus. It is a really pretty spider. It's got it's it's almost like silvery black. It's 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 really pretty. But I I really need to stop talking about spiders, Paul. They're just so <laughs> interesting. I'm gonna I'm gonna leave the great box and become an arachnologist because they're just so interesting. So there's another tree that was. Described to science. All right, so apparently I'm the spider guy. I'm pulling the tree, tree guy. guy yeah. <laughs> so, this is going to go back in two because they actually discovered a, an arachnid with a tail from 100 million years ago. And then you're going to come right back with a new species of Dawn Redwood. I just got the two trees for that. Well, <laughs> that I picked out. All right, I, I promise more. no more spider tools. So, although this one is not, this one's kind of, this is another one that's really pretty sad and it, it raises a lot of questions for me. Um, just new species again. No common name. Scientific name is Vaporous Bali. And it's found in Cameroon in these cloud forests. So it's these forests that are very high up, you know, a couple thousand, um, couple thousand meters up on these mountains. And this specimen was collected in 1951, but it's only just now been actually described and cataloged and, and realized that, hey, this is its own species. Um, so the cool thing is, is, hey, we found this new species. The sad thing is, is, well... It's also probably extinct already. Oh no! So it's collected. What is that? Sixty-seven years ago, and now it's it's at best it's critically endangered. Um, but it's thought that it's probably actually extinct. So they've searched for it. They've actually spent a number of years kind of trying to find this species again. It's um, the Bigfoot of and trees. Nobody, yeah, and and it's basically gone. And part of that reason is it it, it has a very specific habitat, and much of that habitat since the time it was collected in '51 has been. Um, clear cut for agriculture. So, but again, it kind of goes back. It just, it raises interesting questions about, well, what's out there that's already, ex- or what's not out there, what's already extinct, what 
is out there that we don't know that will be extinct. It's, it's this interesting race of, hey, we got to find this stuff. That's what happened with the Dawn Redwood, right? Didn't they think the Dawn Redwood was extinct? And then they rediscovered it in like the 70s or 80s or something. I'm pretty I don't know, because sure. that one's everywhere now. I know it's, it's everywhere, but everywhere I, now. I th- like, it's the Chinese species of redwood, right? I think that was part of it, because China was so locked. I, I could be completely talking nonsense right now. <laughs> but it, so it I need a fact complete... checker just for yeah, you, Tom. Yeah, I, yeah, I know, right? <laughs> Tony, get on that, Tony. <laughs> Stop Googling for me about Dawn Redwoods. <laughs> no, I, I, I could be wrong. I, I do remember reading somewhere that they thought that Dawn Redwoods was was extinct. And, and then it turns out that they're poppy. And, and again, now they're everywhere because they propagated it. Um, and, and, and that's why we have those seed banks. And that's part of the reason why we keep our seed banks is, you know, there could be a dramatic change in, you know, something that the uh, these um, organisms need and we may not necessarily realize it and unless we have their methods of re- reproduction we, we've lost you know something to science that could never be completely reborn again right you know we've been talking about some uh, pretty sad and uh, dark subjects well there was a scientific discovery that has to do with darkness but not in the emotional way in the true color um, way there's actually a species of paradise bird and it has if if you're going to be a bird of paradise to be called the superb bird of paradise i mean you can't get more bird of paradise name than that this bird has to have the biggest ego i know right i mean absolutely. of all the birds which all of them are absolutely gorgeous to be called the, like oh the other ones they're okay this is the superb bird of paradise and i think part of the reason why they're called superb birds of paradise is uh scientists looked at uh, feathers and their fe- they are such a dark bird that su- their feathers have the ability to um they've got these little filaments that bounce the light back and forth within the feather and functionally absorbs a lot of light up to the point of 99.95% uh, of all light. So they're extremely, they almost, they're like they're incredibly black, uh, incredibly dark, and then they dance and they have this fun, swirly dance. They're just amazing. So I can kind of see why they're called Super Birds of Paradise because they almost look like aliens. They, they're, they're really pretty. You know, those birds are only 0.01% away from a lawsuit. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so there's an artist, Anish Kapoor, and he, for lack of a better term, invented the color blackest black. The blackest That was black. 99.96% black. Oh, and oh he, my goodness. he upset a lot of artists because he basically copyrighted that, and he has exclusive rights to the blackest black. So the Bird of Paradise is very lucky that it wasn't just 0.01%. I know, what was his name again? More. Anish Kapoor. Anish Kapoor. Tell yeah. you, there's a super, a super bird of could have been in a lot of trouble with Anish Kapoor. But you know what would be fun is if scientists actually took this. I mean, 0.01% is pretty much nothing. So if scientists actually produce their own super black that isn't copyrighted, then we can have super black for all. All right, so I want to bring it back now to a little bit more local. We've been talking about a lot of species and things happening kind of all over the world. So let's bring it back um, to Hamilton County and actually specifically to Great Parks. And a couple of things that we we did this year, um, they're annual traditions, but uh, we do a bird count every year and a butterfly count every year. So it was a re- really fun bird count this year. It I was. Really good time. It absolutely was. Um, we'll start with the bird count. 
It just happened um, in December 2018. Yeah, uh, yeah. back those <laughs> online, what was it? Online anxiety. Online of the forgotten days of a whole two weeks ago. <laughs> so it's, it's interesting. It was a typical December day. It was overcast, it was low little, 30s. Yeah, I mean, not around. what what you would expect. It, it, it was what you would expect. Um, and this bird count's been happening for, I think this was, it's, it's over 40 years now. Um, pushing, you know, mid 40s or so. And it's interesting that the numbers this year were pretty low. I mean, common birds, things like mm. cardinals and um, starlings and sparrows and those. It was you know, kind and of now low. that you mention it, when I at Sharon Woods, I did not see. I don't know why this is because I've seen them. I've seen. I didn't see a single house sparrow. Uh, so no house sparrows, no starlings, which was kind of weird right. because usually, like house sparrows, as, as soon as you leave the Sharon Center, chip 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 chips, house sparrows all over the place. And I think at Wynn Woods they saw something like six hundred and seventy starlings, um, which that might sound like a huge number, but in starlings, in winter these like starlings they right they flock past. together. Um, in the winter time, and so that's still a small number. And yeah. every other park's had smaller numbers as well. So, if hold on real quick, Paul, if you want to look up um, uh, stalling murmurations, yes. it's it's just a, like it's it's a wave of birds. They're really neat. They're not supposed to be here, but it's really neat. So. It's, it'd be a good relaxation technique just to watch the murmurations. Or, or you could put horror music in the background, and it can be <laughs> the complete opposite. <laughs> so it's just interesting that these numbers are, you know, like total number of birds seen or were a couple thousand below last year. And so the only thing that I kind of thought about is um, during that same weekend, that's when some really bad winter storms with a lot of snow went through further south. I don't know if that could have affected numbers here, um, but it just it kind of it's interesting to show. I remember a couple years ago. Um, a guy called me one day and he said, where are the grasshoppers this summer? He's like, I normally have so many grasshoppers at, around my house and there's none this year. Um, and I kind of laughed, I mean, not laughed at him, obviously, but kind of laughed because that morning, just walking up to my office, I kicked up a ton of grasshoppers. Um, you know, people call and say, where's the hummingbirds? I have hummingbirds every year. And I'd tell them, you know, at this exact moment, your neighbor on the other side of the street might be saying, I have so many hummingbirds this year and I've never seen this many in my backyard. Yeah. Things so that's are cyclical, why you can't they make shift, con- they move around. Yeah, you can't make conclusions out of one exactly. one piece of data. We look for trends. Uh, yeah, exactly. Right. So, so yeah, the fact that there was no house sparrows, that we saw, which is still amazing because I see them every single day when I come into work. And I see, I saw them today. I mean, uh, maybe I'm not paying it, but... But the, the the fact that you know that I didn't see house sparrows this doesn't mean that we have a reduction in house sparrow numbers uh, by any chance. What what I thought was really neat about bird count this year was that we didn't see a whole lot of like unique like birds that you would never see. But the birds that we did see cared a lot less about us than they usually do. Um, for example, I was about we were about um, fifteen feet away from a hairy woodpecker. He was. Um, pecking on a uh, grapevine of all things and he was just going doing his own business couldn't care about uh we were you know again probably about 20 feet away from a blue heron didn't fly away from us uh and and then the last one was a kingfisher that was actually flying around us so even though we saw less birds this year and we didn't see any barred owls or i know over at um the uh, Miami Whitewater Forest they uh they found like bald eagles right yeah uh but over at Sharon, we didn't find anything like that. But the birds that we did see were, we didn't need a hyper. They were just so close to us and they just were not bothered by us at all. It was really neat. It was a really neat day. 
Um, it, it was pretty cool. So I don't. I have no idea what to take from that. <laughs> Honestly, I'm yeah, just well, kind of rambling at right, the moment. But, that, but again, that's why you can't look at one little pinpoint in time. You have to look at many pinpoints and see where you know, is the curve going up, uh, staying the same, is it going down? What's happening with these? We can't just look at one one yeah, data point. Yeah, that's. Um, but yeah. keeping on that same vein. In July, we had our annual butterfly count, and this was the, I believe, the 33rd year, and I kind of wanted to end on a high note of recapping 2018. So this was the 33rd year of the butterfly count um, in with Great Parks in western Hamilton County, and in those 33 years, this is the fourth highest number of monarchs we've ever counted on the count. And this year we counted, yeah, we counted 54 individual monarch butterflies. That's up from just 15 last year. And in 2016, there are only seven. So clearly that trend is, is going higher. But we just talked about you can't look at a single data point. You have to look at a lot of things. But just for a frame of reference, though, in 1996, we counted 71 monarch butterflies. So one of the highest numbers ever. Um, that winter of 96, 97 in Mexico, where all these monarch butterflies migrate to, they had 45 acres covered by migrating monarchs, wow. which is a very high number. That's like at least like 30 or 40 monarchs. <laughs> yeah, 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 maybe a million, right? So <laughs> now in contrast to that, in 2013, we only counted four monarch butterflies, and that winter, 2013, 2014, only saw 2.5 acres covered in Mexico. Wow. So there is, seems to be maybe some correlation. And so hopefully, you know, this high number of counting 54 monarchs, um, that correlates to a high number of acres covered in Mexico. And we'll, we'll, only, we'll find out next year. Yeah, so I, it was a good year. It was, it was a good year for a lot of stuff. So next year, we hope to make another good year. Um, some things to look forward to with Take It Outdoors, at least. Um, we have some episodes on lightning bugs. We'll have one on maple sugaring. We'll be talking about raised bed gardening. Um, so it's going to be a wide game. Did you hear things, about this awesome interpreter stuff. that might be on in the future? Too? And again, for those listeners that uh, checked in with our last episode, um, episode 10. I heard he's like, like he has this amazing accent, right? And he's he's just he's a bit loud. Other than being a little loud and a little hairy and a little scary at times, um, yeah, he's he's just I think his name is like Tom or something. He's just so Tom. Cool. He, I think he's from like Scotland, ah, Wales, but close enough. <laughs> so yeah, so Tom Hughes now he will be joining us um, on the Take It Outdoors portion of the podcast. So we'll keep the in studio interviews, and then we'll be taking outdoors for nature hikes uh, between me. And Tom. So we have a lot of fun stuff planned, so um, continue to, to check back in. The Jumping Spider update. Oh, Just yes, we almost quick. forgot we'll, about we'll the Jumping Spider update. Here. So I went out to see if I could find this tan jumping spider. So we talked about in the last one that supposedly it will congregate in numbers 50 to 100 under the bark of shagbark hickories. Or loose-barked trees. Loose-barked trees in general. So I went out to Miami Whitewater Forest. Um, around the Badlands Trail and the Oakleaf Trail, where there are a plethora of shagbark hickories. I looked and I looked. I, I never found one. Um, I also did some more research. Tom was talking nonsense. <laughs> I also did some research just to verify that this actually occurs. And you mentioned the one reference in a spider book in 1950. I found a second reference 
from a spider book in 1981. There you go. Um, but then I noticed that it was the same author. Same author. Yeah. So I, I uh, still haven't verified but the, this. But there was a website. Um, because I, 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 it turns out that I was taking sources from, I'm just thinking it was all the same. Because the thing that actually mentioned Hickory was like a, um, it was a university website. The name of the university, I can't remember. Probably where this dude was a professor. Probably. <laughs> so I think, I think he's pulling all of our legs. I know, so, right? Yeah. So it's it's the the tan jumping spider is still uh, a mystery to be continued. To be continued. <laughs> so that's the update. Folks, that is our show for today. Lots of good things to look forward to this coming year. And I want to leave you with a challenge. And that challenge is to start a nature journal. Whenever you go outside, observe what you see and keep track of it in a journal. So if you see a spring flower, it's your first one that year. Write it down what it is if you can identify it. Write down the date. Maybe draw a picture of it um, or take a picture of it if you need to. Just make a note of it. Either way, it's a great way to be more observant of the world around us. And if you keep one from year to year, you can start to see the changes and differences in the cycles of nature. Then you can look back to say, hey, I've ever seen this before. Be happy that this is the first time I've ever seen it. So pick up a blank journal, keep an eye on the nature around you, and let us know how it goes. For more information about upcoming events in 2019 with Great Parks, check out our website, greatparks.org. Tom, thanks for joining us indoors thanks today. for having me once again. We'll see you a lot more outdoors in the coming year. And of course, thank you, listener, for joining us today on Take It Outdoors, a podcast where you can enjoy the outdoors from the indoors. Join us next month for our next episode. And until then, get outside, enjoy nature. <laughs>